Long ago, God gave his people a leader after his own heart. They wanted a mighty warrior. God gave them a shepherd, but this shepherd was fell a giant. Fighting fear itself, he was rewarded with the crown and comfort and brought prosperity to the land. He became complacent, impulsive. He would be consumed by anger, risking everything he had built. Well, good morning. Good to see everybody. I want to welcome you to Seacoast this weekend. My name is Josh Surratt. If I haven't met you, I serve as a lead pastor here at the church. And we are glad you're here. If you're here at the Mount Pleasant campus, congratulations for making it through the parking lot and getting into the building. Uh, if you're not at the Mount Pleasant campus, we're glad you're here as well. We have begun construction, and so it's uh, changed up our traffic patterns a bit, and uh, everybody's still, uh, st still with us, and we haven't had any fights break out in the parking lot yet. It's early in the process, so we'll see what happens down the road. But we're glad all of you are with us. Maybe you're online as well. Uh, we are excited to have you. I know in the Charleston area, school is pretty much out. Summertime is here. I know in Asheville, y'all have some snow days to make up, so you still got some time. I think Charleston County has a half day tomorrow, uh, but rumor has it none of you are sending your kids to school tomorrow anyways, and so no judgment here. But I hope you guys are all ready just for a great summer. I love summertime. I'm looking forward to what's gonna happen. And for, for us, summer always kind of kicks off with our wedding anniversary, our 16-year anniversary was this year, and Lisa and I always try to do something uh, for the anniversary. Some years we do something big, some years something smaller. Well, this year we ended up not having a lot, whole lot of time or a whole lot of money, so we ended up doing a three-day kind of budget cruise line cruise. Uh, I ended up going to the Bahamas for a day, and so, uh, and I'm not going to bash any brands, but so it's just a budget cruise. It ended up being, uh, it ended up being a party boat, okay? And um, and I love to party, I'm not saying I don't, but, but with a 16 year anniversary of a pastor on this cruise ship, it kind of felt like what I envisioned the 60s felt like for the people who weren't doing drugs. Um, <laughs> it's just a, bit, a little bit wild. Uh, but, but on the first day, we go to the beach and, and we started reading this book uh, that we just picked up, it just came out, called Goliath Must Fall. It's a book written by a guy named Louis Giglio, who's one of my favorite speakers, just an incredibly inspirational leader in the church today. And, and so he just released this book, and we're sitting on the beach, and we're reading this book, got about five, five chapters in, and I, I, I loved it. I was like, man, I love the concept that he's talking about. I would love for us to do a series on this. And so I told Lisa, I said, hey, when we get back and we start planning the series for next year, because if you are new to Seacoast, we're in a one-year-long series this year. We're just reading through the Bible all year long, year in the Word. And so I knew next year we'd get back into doing some series. I said, don't let me forget to, to, to talk about doing the series on this book, Goliath Must Fall, because it's, it's really fascinating and a, a cool take on Dave, uh, David and Goliath's story. So fast forward to, to the last night of the cruise, and we had experienced, you know, uh, whatever. We were just a little disgusted with the, the environment that we were in. And I went back uh, to our room. She was getting ready for dinner that night. I went out onto the balcony of the cruise and I was just sitting out there, uh, quiet, nobody else out there that I could tell. And about three doors down, there was an African-American family that I'd seen earlier. And there, there was an older African-American gentleman that was sitting out on the porch. I didn't see him, I didn't know he was there, but I heard him uh, when he started to sing Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And he's belting it. He can't sing worth a lick. He cannot carry a tune. <laughs> and, and he sings this whole chorus three times. And, 
And I don't think he knew anybody else was out there. It was almost like hearing somebody singing in the shower when they don't know that anybody's listening. And so I'm just sitting here trying not to make any noise, being real quiet and, and, and taking it in. And he finishes and then it goes quiet for a few minutes and I assume maybe he'd gone back into the room and I just kind of felt like, you know what, that was cool. I'm gonna jump in. So I came in with hard with verse four. Um, <laughs> I, just start, I just went for it. When we've been there 10,000 years. I'm belting it, I can't sing, but neither could he, but I've got confidence now. <laughs> Bright shining as the sun. <clears throat> Excuse me, I just cleared my throat a little bit. And, and, and so I finished this, this chorus and I stop and it's like, okay, that was kinda cool. Well, then he pipes back in. Amazing grace, and he stops. I'm like, oh, we doing a duet, aren't we? Okay, okay, I see where we're going. So I jump in. How sweet the sound, sing it with me. That saved a wretch like me. Come on, Armo, Columbia. I once was lost. But now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. I'm telling you, it was one of the most spiritual and awkward moments that I've ever experienced <laughs> in my life. So we just, we sing, we sing a duet together. <laughs> and I was like, you asked, did I meet him afterwards? No, I wasn't gonna meet him. I, I didn't wanna <laughs> ruin, I just, it was like, it was, it was intimate, too intimate to, to meet him after that moment. But I felt like, seriously, it was very awkward, but I was like, man, I, I just felt like God spoke to me in that moment and said, hey, I, I'm here. I'm, and all of this that you're disgusted with and all of this that you kind of maybe a little disappointed in this getaway, I'm right, I'm right here. And so I, I opened up my Bible and I did my reading for that day. Uh, and then I fast forwarded to this week's readings because I knew that we, I was gonna be sharing with you guys this weekend, and lo and behold, what do we study this week is the story of David and Goliath. So I'm like, maybe, maybe now is the time for us to jump into this. And so we're gonna start a series today that's gonna be a part of the broader series that we're doing, Year in the Word. Turns out I read ahead, and it's like, oh, maybe God knew what he was doing. It's all gonna kinda tie together, but we're gonna do a, a short series that's gonna be called Goliath Must Fall. And it's either inspired by God or inspired by a bad cruise. But either way, we're gonna do this together. And, and, and I'm really looking forward to it. And you may be thinking, like seriously, Josh? Like, do we need to do another message on David and Goliath? Have we not all heard this story a thousand times? Like if you grew up in the church, you know the story of David and Goliath, right? You, you learned about it in preschool. You learned about it at your youth camps. And we've talked about, I've probably preached on this story a half dozen times myself. Do we really need to go into this again? We know that there were two armies. That, that, did somebody answer me? I missed that. <clears throat> uh, was it a yes or a no? Okay, good, it was a yes. <laughs> I wasn't prepared for what we were gonna do if we we're not gonna do that. But um, I'm gonna talk to the campuses that don't talk back to me for a minute. <laughs> we, know, we know the story, right? You've got the Israelite army, You've got the Philistine army. They've, they've constant nemesises and, and they're going up against each other in this valley called Elah. And then you've got the, 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 the Goliath that shows up and says, send your best 
warrior to come fight me. And, and you've got this Israelite army that's afraid. They don't, they, they don't see any way that they can defeat this giant. And then on comes a shepherd boy into the valley who says, I'll take down the giant. And he picks up his five smooth stones and he uses his slingshot and he steps into the valley and he says, you come after me with sword and shield, but I come in the name of the God of Israel's armies. And, I, and he slings that stone and he knocks him in the head and he falls down and he chops his head off and, 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 and the Israelites win the battle. We know the story, we've heard it so many times. Why are we doing another series on it? Well, what if, what if there's a slight plot twist in the story that, that we've never really looked at from, from a certain angle that might allow us to see it in a whole new way. See, that's kind of the premise of this book, and if you've got, uh, you may wanna pick it up. It's a great book, Goliath Must Fall. We're just gonna kind of use this as a launching point because I love the premise that he makes, and, and here's what it is. It's, it's a bit of a plot twist. What if, what if, it's not up there. What, what if, oh, there's a sign here that says teaching TV not working, running graphics from the booth. Thank you, I should have read that earlier. <laughs> it is also on your outline sheet, what if we're not David in the story of David and Goliath? What, 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 if, what if we aren't David in the story of David and Goliath? Think about this for a minute. You, you hear the story, there's a young, overlooked underdog, and maybe you're young, maybe you feel overlooked, maybe you feel like the odds are against you. Well, he musters up enough courage, and he steps into this valley, and he finds the right weapon, and he slays that giant, and he becomes a hero for all of Israel. And, and we, we hear that story, and we go, man, if I could just muster up enough courage, if I could get my hands on the right weapon, if I could step up, maybe I could slay that giant myself, and I could be the hero, and who doesn't get excited about that, right? I mean, we all wanna be David in the story of David and Goliath. But, but here's the problem. We're not David in the story of David and Goliath. And I'm not saying we don't get to take part in the victory, because what happened after David took down the, the giant, all of the Israelite army came in and they, they, they swarmed the, the enemy army. They took part in the victory, but the giant slayer was, was not us. See, what if we are actually the Israelite army who's trying to find a way through this giant, who's trying to figure out how to make this work and we're desperately in need of a young shepherd to step onto the, the, the field and to take down this giant? What if Jesus is David in the story of David and Goliath? What, what if Jesus is the one that came onto the field and slayed the giant? What if Jesus actually came and walked this earth and died on a cross and overcame death. And he didn't say on the cross to be continued. He said it is finished. He defeated the enemy. What if our job isn't just to look within ourselves to find a way to take out the giant? What if our job is to leverage what Jesus has already done and lean into that and just experience that victory with him? Could it potentially change the way we look at the giants in the land? I think it might. So we're gonna take some time to, to look at it over the next couple of weeks. Uh, I'll give you a little bit of context on the story. I think we popped this picture up earlier, but there's a picture. Uh, this is the setting of the story. It's the Valley of Elah. The Valley of Elah is in Israel. This was from a, a picture that we, we took when we went on the Israel trip. And you can kind of see kind of down in the middle of that valley, there's a, 
a, a little water stream that kind of runs through it. And what happened is you would have had the Philistines on one side, on that, that hill on the other side. You would have had the Israelites on the other hill on the, the near side. And that's kind of where this whole thing goes down. By the way, we're going back to Israel in November. Would love to have you join us. It's one of my favorite things that we ever do as a church. We'll take about 50 people. You can go to the website to get more information about that. But within this valley, what happens is you've got uh, the, the setting for this story. The, the, the armies are lined up against each other. And then in verse four in 1 Samuel 17, it says, then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and as thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. You know, I read this, I almost get the feeling that it could have been a worship song. How great is Goliath. He's huge. They're just, I mean, they're going into all this detail. This guy is impenetrable. He's, there's no way through. Nine feet tall, armor bearer. And he's, he's a trash talker too. It says in verse eight, Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me, man against man. If he kills me, then we'll be your slaves. But if I kill him, you're our slaves. He lays down the gauntlet. Then he says, I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. And then a miracle happens. Because you know, in the church world, there's never unanimous votes. But here in verse 11, everybody responded the same way. Look, it says, when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. All of them, everybody, coils back in fear. That, that, that's, that's the setting for this story. You know, plenty of us face a similar predicament every single day. And that's why we're gonna do this series. You know, many of us are facing some kind of an insurmountable challenge or a problem in our lives. A lot of our giants are like the Philistines. They've been around for a while. You know, the Philistines, they weren't a new, uh, a new group that was causing problems for the Israelites. They had done battle for years and years and years. They had been a nemesis for a long, long time. And many of us with our giants, maybe we've kind of resolved the same thing that the, Philist or that the Israelite army had resolved, that maybe this guy's just not gonna go away. For 40 days, they, they, they let him taunt them, they let him intimidate them, speak down to them, and they'd kind of gotten used to this giant that was just living with them. Some of us, maybe it's a giant named fear, rules our lives. And it's not like you're terrified all of the time, but in your honest moments, you would just acknowledge there's, a, there's an anxiety, there's a deep-seated fear. You, you find yourself imagining the worst-case scenarios playing out. Maybe even you're afraid of the nighttime when you're alone with your own thoughts in your head. Some of us are battling the giant of rejection. You know, maybe you grew up in a home where it was never quite enough on your report cards. You never quite got it right. 
And every time you fell short, you were told, and, and you didn't feel like you had the approval of the people that you need it from the most. And so you live your life today in this kind of performance-based mentality that I'm gonna get it right, I'm gonna do, I don't wanna experience rejection again. You know, for some of us, it might be the giant of an addiction. You know, maybe there's a substance or could be a behavior, alcohol, shopping, binge eating, porn, and it's been around for a long, long time and you've kind of just gotten used to it being there. I know for me, when I initially gave my life to Christ, it was like, man, I didn't think there would be any more giants in the land. I thought once you, once you gave your life to Christ that, that they'd all kind of go away. But here I found myself a believer, married, even on staff at a church, yet still fighting a battle with an addiction, a giant called pornography that was wreaking havoc in my life that nearly cost me my marriage early on. There were giants that were still living in the land. Yeah, I don't know what your giant is, might be anger. It's not like you're in a fit of rage, but man, there are these moments where you just lash out and there's something kind of simmering underneath the surface that you never know when it's gonna quite bubble up, but it's there. There are all kinds of giants that still seem to be lurking in the land. You know, we're gonna look at several of those more specifically over the next couple of weeks. But you know, Jesus said in John 10 that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Here's what I believe. I believe Jesus didn't come to this earth, die on a cross, overcome the grave, so that we could continue to struggle with the same thing that we've struggled with over and over and over again. I believe that Jesus won the victory, and he wants us to lean into that. He wants us to experience freedom. He wants us to experience wholeness where maybe we haven't experienced it before. But, but here's the problem with that. So, so he came, he conquered death, he conquered the Goliath, he conquered Satan, yet some of us are still experiencing the power of Goliath in our lives, right? And, and, and the reason is that just because a giant is dead doesn't mean that it's not deadly. A giant can be dead, but still be deadly. I, I learned this principle a long time ago. When I first moved to the Charleston area uh, with our family, I was about seven years old. We moved up to Somerville, uh, lived in a subdivision called Iron Gate in Somerville. And I was part of a, a gang, you may not have heard of us, but we were about five or six, seven, eight-year-old boys, and we were pretty tough stuff. We would kind of go out in the woods and we, we'd find um, shark's teeth, and we, we were just always looking for an adventure, always trying to do what young boys do. And so one day we were out hunting down an adventure, and we found an adventure, and this is what it looked like up on the screens. Now, I say this is what it looked like. I remember the, the water moccasin that we saw being a lot bigger than that. It was like 100 feet long and six feet wide. It was huge. It was a big water moccasin. And you just even looking at that, oh, some of you were, you know, kind of getting the creeps just seeing it, but it was this big water moccasin and it was coiled up in this ditch. We were walking through this ditch, couldn't get around it because there were steep slopes on either side. We, 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 we had a problem. We had to figure out how to get through this ditch. And so we did what any smart young boys would do. We nominated one of us to jump over the water moccasin and try to go find somebody to help. And that was me. That was my job. So I got to run and, and jump over this water moccasin. I snapped a picture of it right as I was over top of it. That's his mouth. I'm, I didn't actually take that picture, but... But seriously, I jump over it and I, I, I run back into um, to, to the neighborhood and I find one of the parents and he comes back with me and he comes back with a shovel. 
Now, a lot of you know what's gonna happen in this story. He, he did two things with this shovel, actually. The first thing he did, you can probably predict. Yeah, you don't have to say it, but he cut the snake's head off, right? I mean, he, he kind of got, got into a little battle with him and he, and he pinned him down and he, he chopped this water moccasin's head off. Now, um, this message was not brought to you by PETA, whether you agree with that or not, that's just what he did. I'm just <laughs> telling the story. So he cuts the head off. And then he does something else with the shovel that was very interesting. And, and we didn't understand what he was doing. He began to dig a hole. He dug about a, a foot and a half deep hole and he took the snake's head with the shovel and he put it down in the hole and he buried it. Why in the world would he have buried a, a, a snake's head that had been cut, removed from the body of it? Well, because some of you may not know this, a snake can still bite you and it can still inject poison in you even after it's dead, even after it's been beheaded. A snake can be dead and still be deadly. Google it, you can check it out for yourself. About two years ago, a guy in Australia was cooking a soup using a cobra's head as part of, it was like a cobra stew, and he grabbed the head of this cobra and it bit him and he died. Literally like, uh, it had been dead for hours. And so a snake can literally be dead and not be deadly, as if you needed one more reason to hate snakes and fear them. <laughs> Even after they're dead, they can still wreak havoc in your life. But here's the deal. Same thing applies to the giants in our lives. You know, Jesus has destroyed them. Jesus has conquered death, but they can be dead but still be deadly. See, if we misstep, we step into the wrong area, we begin to believe certain thoughts that aren't actually true, they can begin to take power over our lives. That we, we begin to live as if the giant is still alive. And many of us have stories and testimonies on that. So a snake can be dead, but still be deadly. I, I believe that, that God wants us to, to live in victory, to bury the head of these giants once and for all. See, Satan knows how the story ends. He knows Jesus overcame death. And so his only weapon that he has against us is to get us to believe lies that aren't true and begin to live as if they are. So if Jesus is David and the story of David and Goliath, if Jesus has already achieved the victory and it's not on us to just look within ourselves to muster up enough strength to overcome these, these giants that we face, how do we stand in faith? How do we leverage our faith in light of the giants that we're facing? I wanna give you three thoughts really quickly. The first thing that we have to do is get the right perspective on the giant. Get the right perspective on the giant. You know, the biggest difference between David and the rest of the army was perspective. I mean, one group of people, the one that probably most represents us in our lives, they, they actually saw their God in light of the size of their giant. Look what it says on the, the screen, the next verse. It says, as soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen that giant, the man asked. He comes out every day to defy Israel. That giant is so big. Have you seen his armor? Have you seen how great he is? He's amazing. They're serving a really little God because their giant is so big they can hardly even see him. And David comes onto the scene and says, guys, really? Like, do you know the God that I know? And he's got a completely different perspective. Look at what David says. David asks a soldier standing nearby, What's a man gonna get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyways? 
that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? Like seriously? See, David sees the giant through the lens of his God. And, and I don't mean to belittle any giant that you might be facing today, but when we, we truly understand the God that we serve, that it's the same God that parted the Red Sea, that led the people of Israel into Egypt, that overcame death on a cross, then no matter what we might be facing, even to the point of death, we don't have to live in fear of that. We can, we can re be reminded that our God is bigger than our giant. Romans 8, 31, one of my favorite verses, if God is for us, who could ever be against us? If it's just you against the giant, yeah, I don't like your odds. But if it's you and Jesus against the giant, who could be against you? Who could stand against you? Where do you need to get some perspective on your giant? Is it fear? You know, it's been so loud and, and overwhelming and the thoughts have been kind of replaying over and over and over in your mind that it's paralyzed you from taking action. Put it in perspective, God is for you. Maybe it's an addiction. And like the Israelite army, you've just kind of gotten to this point where you're like, I just don't know that this is gonna go away. I just don't know that there's any way around it. I don't know if there's any way for us to get victory here. That, that's the wrong perspective on our giants. Jesus didn't die so that we would stay stuck in the same place for the rest of our lives. He wants us, like the Israelite army did, to charge forward, to, to partake in the victory, to, to overcome with his help. So don't lose that perspective. Jesus has defeated the giant. First, first thought is get the right perspective. Second thought for us, tell someone that the giant is dead. Tell someone that the giant is dead. You, you know, there, there's a part of this story that I've, again, preached this story several times. I've never preached on this part because it's, it's a little bit gruesome and it's, it doesn't kind of give you the best images. But, you know, after David came into the valley and took down the giant, what did he do? He, he ran up to the giant and he took his own sword, the Goliath's sword, and he, and he removed his head. And uh, it's kind of gruesome and it's, it's the way they did, did things that day. And that's, that's one thing. But then something happened a few verses later. David actually took Goliath's head and brought it with him back up to Saul, the king's tent. Now that's odd, why in the world would he bring the, the dead giant's head back up to the tent? It just seems like a really gruesome scene. I don't know how it actually played out. I don't know if he came in and was like, hey, uh, Saul, so sorry about the rug. Um, but, <laughs> but I just wanted you to know, you, you probably heard about the battle and you probably heard that Goliath is dead. You know that, that that giant that's been taunting you and intimidating you and had you paralyzed in fear, you probably heard about it, maybe you saw it from your vantage point, but, but I just wanted to show you firsthand that the giant is dead. Because there's gonna come a day in the future where you're gonna forget that and you're gonna start living and leading as if the giant was still alive, but you need to remember that God has overcome, that we serve a great God and he, and he, and he literally brings it firsthand and he shows him that the giant is dead. And I believe the same principle is true in our lives. If we're gonna lean in and stand in faith, it's not about us you know, manning up and finding the courage and the strength. Part of it's gonna be telling somebody, man, about the victory. That's what I love about small groups. That's what I love about the community that happens at all of our campuses here at Seacoast. Is, is there comes these moments where we have to go, hey, I'm gonna bring something up and, and group and and I'm so sorry about the rug, this might get messy, 
but, but you need to know that this is an issue that I've faced in my life. And I would encourage you to name it. It can be uncomfortable to name it, but when we name it, it loses its power. When we confess something, it loses its power over, the, over us. You know, us Christians, we love to do unspoken prayer requests. Um, and so don't, this is not an unspoken. We don't come in and go, guys, there's this kind of thing, this unspoken deal. You know what an unspoken prayer request is? It's one that you don't plan on having victory over anytime soon. So name it, confess it, but say, I, it, this is something that, that, that I've dealt with, but Jesus has overcome this in my life. And I wanted you guys to know so that you can celebrate with me, but so that you can also remind me on the moments when I forget, when I start to believe the lies that, that, it, that Jesus hasn't overcome this, I'm gonna need you to speak this back to me in weak moments in my life. Tell somebody about the victory. That's what I love about the men's hike that many of our campuses do. Uh, it's so powerful, the getaway, bunch of them just got back. I think over 1,200 people have been on this men's hike just at this campus alone that I'm standing in. But one of the things that's powerful about the hike, I won't give away the whole hike, but there comes a moment where men just get really real with each other and say, this is it, this is what I'm dealing with. This is what I'm, 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 I'm asking you guys to help me live in victory over. And, and we name it and it loses its power. And we see men walking in freedom in a lot of different areas of their life. So tell somebody about the victory. Get the right perspective. Tell somebody about the victory. One last thought for us. One last thought. Go ahead and sing a victory song. Go ahead and sing a victory song. I, I, don't, I don't know exactly what this scene looked like in the story of David and Goliath. I know David was a worshiper. I know David wrote about 75 songs that we know as Psalms. And I imagine that after David took down that, that giant, that there was just a battle cry, a victory cry as they kind of took hold of that victory. Don't wait to start singing that. Go ahead and sing your victory song. Would you agree that music is pretty powerful? It can evoke emotions in us. It can kind of bring up certain things or thoughts or, or, or take us back to a certain place. I, I brought a couple of songs. Maybe it'll help show you that. What, is, what, what comes to mind when you hear this song? Let's get ready to play. Some of you are too old for this. Hootie the Blowfish. Hold my hand. What, what does that evoke for you? Anything? For me, it takes me right back to the roller skating rink. Middle school, holding hands with a girl of my dreams. I can remember it. I didn't end up marrying her. Uh, Lisa and I have talked about it. We're still working through this a little bit. But, <clears throat> but every time I hear that song, it takes me back to that, this moment back from middle school. What, what about this song? Come on. We all have that country season. You remember. Does that, does that bring anything up for you? Do you remember any moments? For me, it was a party that I shouldn't have been at with some guys that I no longer am friends with, but that we... We sang and we, we just, you know, had fun. This is a powerful one for me. Listen to this one. That's the Cubs' victory song after every win. They won the World Series last year. I don't know if you knew that or not, but they did. And so that just brings up some good, good memories. Here's one, here's one. This may bring something up for you. place. Man, for me, that was our first uh, dance uh, at our wedding. 
And so every time we're driving down the road, that song pops up on the radio. It's like, man, we are gonna turn that thing up and all the feels come back. You know, you're right back in that moment. And, and music just has a way of doing that, of kind of eliciting these emotions for us. And, and here's what I'm gonna propose to you as we go on this journey for the next couple of weeks. I'm gonna propose to you that, that the soundtrack for these victories that builds our faith is gonna be our worship. It's, it's gonna be us singing these victory songs. There's something powerful in worship. David knew it. Look, look at the, the scripture on, on the screen. It says, Psalm 16, nine, therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. So he's worshiping. And what happens after that? My body also will rest secure. See, when we sing those victory songs, when we celebrate what Jesus has done on the cross, our, our emotions often follow that. Our body even can be affected by that, but we're just gonna sing the victory songs. We're gonna anchor our hope in the truth, not in the giant. We're gonna anchor our hope in what we know to be true about God. That's what I love about our, our, our time together as we, um, we gather every weekend as a church. Some of you leave here and you just, you feel encouraged. Maybe you've never even really figured out why. Part of that is that when we sing together, anthems of faith, anthems of truth, our faith rises, our faith is built in those moments. That's what I love about First Wednesday. We're gonna have First Wednesday at a lot of our campuses this week, and I, I try not to miss First Wednesdays. If I'm here, I'm gonna be, if I'm, if I'm in town, I'm gonna be there, I'm gonna be here this week. I love First Wednesday, because it's one of these moments where just worship wells up in this place, and, and, and our faith is built, and we lean into what Jesus has done. We declare that over and over and over again. I do it every single morning. I, I set my alarm clock on my phone and when I wake up every morning, this is what I hear first thing in the morning. No other name. Mountains bow down as we lift him up. There is no other name. There's no other name. There's nothing I'm gonna face today that's more powerful than the name of Jesus. It may be a few years old, but that's still my anthem. And I wake up every morning to that. And I'm telling you, most days I leave my house and I'm ready to charge hell with a water pistol because I'm just so fired up about what God is up to. And regardless of what I'm gonna face, that there's no name more powerful than the name of Jesus. Leverage that during your week. Leverage worship. Set an atmosphere of worship in your home. I know when we gather together for our, our meals each night. Well, we always have music playing. Sometimes we keep it fun and we'll have 21 pilots or something and it'll kind of set the atmosphere. But man, when we turn worship on in our home, the atmosphere shifts in our house and, 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 and faith begins to rise up. So I wanna encourage you, wherever you are, whatever giant that you might be facing, this is not gonna be a series where you just find it within yourself to beat it. That's not the answer. The answer is we're gonna leverage what Jesus has done. We're gonna build our faith as we approach and take down whatever is in front of us. Get the right perspective. Tell somebody, talk to somebody about what you're facing and what, you're, 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 what victory you're gonna walk in. And let's let worship be the soundtrack for this series and for ultimately our lives. Here's what I'd love to see happen over the next couple of weeks. I'd love to see us identify the giants that we're facing, just kind of put it out there. 
And who knows if now's not the time, if this isn't the season, that we're gonna experience victory over, for some of us, some things that have defeated us for a long, long time. I think that's what God wants to do during our time together. So we're gonna respond in just a few moments at all of our campuses, and when we do, the first thing I'm gonna ask you to do is go to the cross. And what I want us to do this weekend is I want us simply to name it. What giant are you facing? If nothing were impossible, what would fall for you in the next couple of weeks? What area of your life would you experience victory in? And what we're gonna do is we've got kind of an outline for the series, but we're gonna use your feedback, the stuff that you bring to the crosses to really help us shape the topics that we're gonna talk about over the next couple of weeks. And we're gonna figure out how do we lean into what Jesus has done so we can experience victory in these areas of our lives. Would you guys pray with me as we close? Father, I thank you. I thank you so much, Lord, that thousands of years ago, Lord, when, when your people were at a crossroads, your people were stuck, your people were afraid. Lord, that a shepherd boy came onto the scene and took down Goliath, which ultimately led to a victory for the people of God. And Jesus, we thank you that 2,000 years ago, you came onto the scene in the midst of all of our sin and all of our shame, and ultimately you defeated the evil one so that we could live in victory. We thank you for what you did on the cross. We thank you for what you did in conquering death and, and coming out of the grave so that we could live lives of victory, Lord, regardless of what giant we might be facing. So today, God, I know that in this room and in our campuses, there are all kinds of giants represented. And we don't seek to belittle those whatsoever. We're not gonna deny that they're there. But Lord, we're choosing today to say our God is bigger than our giant. Jesus, would you help set us free? Would you help us live in victory in these areas of our lives? In Jesus' name, we pray, amen.